0: Quick content warning this week, it's kind of violent. There's more info on mythpodcast.com. This week on Myths and Legends, it's two stories from the collection titled Tale of Tales, which contains the original, very much R rated versions of Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, and others. Today are two of the most famous stories of that collection. First, we'll learn about the least favorable ingredient in your chopped basket. And on the second, we'll see how screaming pickup lines from your window at strangers who just want to be left alone might end badly. I know, who would have thought? The creature this time is Batman. If Batman were four feet tall and much less picky about his dishes. This is Myths and Legends, episode 83, Skin Deep. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by Spotify. Love our show? Well, did you know you can listen to it on Spotify while still enjoying your favorite tunes? It's easy. Just look for the podcast section within the browse tab on your mobile device, or just search for your favorite shows. To find more podcasts, head to Spotify.com podcasts. Today's stories come to us from a book called The Tale of Tales, by Italian writer Giambattista Basile. He collected the stories from around the Mediterranean in the 1600s and put his own little spin on them. The book contains the original written versions of Sleeping Beauty, Puss in Boots, Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, and more. It's subtitled Entertainment for Little Ones, but no child should read this book ever due to the shockingly high levels of cannibalism, rape, murder, you name it. Like, it's even worse than most other folklore out there, which is... Pretty impressive. There was a movie containing three stories from this collection, called The Tale of Tales, out somewhat recently, and it managed to feel just as violent, weird, and unpredictable as these stories. I'm actually still not sure if I liked it. Anyway, we'll start today with one story, of a king with a very common problem. The king was a generous king, until he wasn't. You see, the only thing he wanted was a child. Every day he would ask his wife if she was pregnant yet, and every day she would shake her head. It was early on in his reign when he got an idea. Sure, he could pray for a child, but maybe it would help to grease God's palm a bit. And so, he gave money to every person in need he could find. Far and wide, he became known for his generosity. So, why wasn't God delivering on his half of the non-existent bargain? The king began to rail at God in his prayers saying that couldn't God see how generous he was being? So why didn't God give him everything he prayed for, or even that one thing? If God had replied, I imagine he would have said, one, yes, I can see how generous you're being, though does it really count as generosity if you expect something in return? And second, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Essentially, God did say that by continuing to not give this king a kid. The king, after years of generosity, took a hard left. He not only stopped giving to the poor, he went to the tower, hammered the door shut, and shot at anyone who drew near with a crossbow. Hold still, I need to reload. The king barked down at the passerby. Why are you trying to kill me? The bearded sage yelled back to the king who was popping in another crossbow bolt. Oh, my wife would not get pregnant no matter how much I prayed and gave to the poor, so I'm doing the opposite of that. "'and killing a bunch of innocent people "'to see how that plays out,' the king hollered, "'just as he finished reloading his weapon. "'That's it. "'No problem there. "'I can get your wife pregnant,' the sage shouted. "'Okay, now I'm definitely gonna kill you,' "'the king yelled down, taking aim. "'The sage waved his arm wildly. "'No, no, 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 no. "'I meant that I have a strategy "'for her to be able to get pregnant, "'and not, not the other way that sentence could be taken. "'Wow, I can't believe the original text "'has that line in it. "'Seriously, phrasing, but I'm listening.' the king softened, lowering his crossbow. Well, you know how Hera became pregnant with Ares and Eris after touching a flower because she was mad at Zeus? It's kind of like that, except that your wife needs to eat the heart of a sea dragon, Sage explained. That's almost nothing like that, the king said, but honestly, my next best plan was just going to be shooting more people, so it looks like we're going to go with the sea dragon thing, the king declared, and went to find a hammer to pry the nails from the door. There was just one little detail, however. The dragon's heart had to be cooked by some random virgin in a locked room. She would become pregnant too, just from the fumes. But don't worry about her, the sage assured the king. Once the queen ate the sea dragon's heart, she would instantly be pregnant with their son. That was more than enough for the king. He ordered all of his knights and fishermen to capture a sea dragon and cut out its heart. But then it occurred to him, he had been a coward for far too long. If he needed to capture a sea dragon and put his life at risk for his wife to become pregnant and atone for his sins against God and man, he would do so, for he was the king, and he— What? what? Oh, they found a sea dragon already, and they cut out its heart and it's on the way here already? Okay, wow, yeah, that, that's way easier. The king breathed a sigh of relief. Back to plan A. That other of the way was super dangerous anyway. stared down at the new hire, standing timidly before the throne. "'Today's your lucky day. Welcome aboard. You just got the job of head cook in our kitchens. It comes with no health insurance, no retirement, no vacation days, and you have to start today,' the king said to the young woman, beaming. "'But I don't know how to—' "'You're a virgin, right? And you know how to boil water?' the king asked. The young woman nodded yes to both of those. The king assured her that this position came with extensive on-the-job training and personally escorted her off to the kitchen. Opening the door— the confused new hire found the kitchen to be completely empty, and as soon as she reached the middle of the room, the king slammed the door behind her, locking it from the outside. The first meal you make will be for the queen, he shouted through the door. See that big, bloody hunk of meat on the table? Yeah, just boil some water and throw it in. She turned to the giant, bloody heart, slumped there on the table in the cauldron full of boiling water. 15 minutes of struggling with a slimy, heavy organ, and she was able to ease it down into the water without getting splashed. As it turned out, getting splashed would be the absolute least of her worries. A thick smoke billowed instantly from the pot, and she coughed and choked on it. She rushed to the door, pounding and screaming for someone to let her out, as the mysterious cloud overtook the room, ceiling to floor, but no one came. In her panic, the pain started. First, a knot formed in her stomach, but then it exploded, the mass growing heavier and heavier by the second, as her skin stretched, And body crew, tearing through one trimester, then a second trimester, all in mere minutes. She screamed as she felt her new, very new, baby kicking for the first time. Then, yes, then, things got weird. The smoke quickly cleared and the fire went out. The sea dragon heart was perfectly cooked, but that's not what the young woman noticed. All around her, the furniture was pregnant. It wasn't walking and talking like in Beauty and the Beast or anything, but they all had very noticeable bumps. The young woman fainted, and it wasn't until later that she was informed that all the furniture in the room had given birth that evening. The chairs had tiny chairs, the strongbox in the corner had a little chest, a pot gave birth to a smaller, cuter pot, and so on. The king didn't care at all that his entire kitchen was going into labor, and stormed past the hullabaloo. He reached the cooked heart, and took it to his queen, and upon taking one bite, she too, became pregnant. I really don't know what will be better or worse, being able to skip 98% of a pregnancy, and having it take place over four days, or having an entire pregnancy take place over four days. Regardless, there's no mention of how it went for the young lady-in-waiting, and the queen. But, four days later, they both gave birth to sons. The prince was named Fonzo, and the son of the servant was named Canaloro. They never should have become friends. Fonzo was the future ruler, and Caneloro's mother was shamed after she became pregnant, yet the pair was drawn to each other. It could have been coincidence, or it could have been magic, because they were both born after a dragon's heart, or the smoke from a dragon's heart impregnated their mothers. Who's to say? Regardless, they became very, very close. They looked exactly alike, too, and when they found each other, they felt like they had found a missing piece of themselves. Ever since, the pair was inseparable. If you think that a queen might not want her son hanging around a child of a servant for aristocratic reasons, well, so did I. However, the story actually states why the queen hated Canaloro. And it's much weirder. The Queen hated Canaloro because Fonzo, the prince, loved the boy more than he loved his mom. I haven't been able to find any academic exploration of that jealousy, and I definitely get some uncomfortable vibes from it, but there it is. One morning, Canaloro was in his humble shack. He was crafting bullets for a hunting trip with Fonzo, and it just brought the molten lead to the right temperature when there was a commotion outside. As he rose to investigate, a large man burst through the door. He inspected the room and pushed Canelaro into a corner. The young man stood in shock as the man ducked out of the shack, and the queen herself entered immediately afterward. For all of Fonzo's talk of her, Canelaro had never actually seen the queen. The woman stood in a way that consumed the whole room around her, and she took everything in, devouring it and being repulsed by it all at once. This was how her son chose to spend his time? Here? She asked about Fonzo. He didn't return home the previous night. Was he here? He wasn't, but he had stayed the night in the shack. Fonzo talked a lot about his mother, and in just a few moments alone with her, Kenalaro could see why he disliked her so much. Kenalaro shook his head. Fonzo wasn't here. The queen gave us a succinct, hmm, before continuing to explore the room. It was a small room, which made for a short trip, and she stopped when she found a pot of boiling lead on the fire. Her soft hand grazed the handle, and she looked at Canelaro, who immediately guessed what she was thinking. He didn't even have time to mouth a no, before the queen gripped the pot and flung the molten lead at Canelaro. At the first and last possible moment, he dove to the ground, but a chunk of metal still splashed in his forehead, just above his eyebrow. The noise of his screams brought the guards pouring into the shack. They looked down at Canelaro, who writhed in pain on the floor and sneered. The queen let the pot clang to the ground, without as much of a glance in Canaloro's direction, as he gripped his head, wailing. The queen thought, hopefully, that it would kill him, but if it didn't, maybe he would think twice, about spending time with Fonzo. Canaloro crawled to a water bucket, outside, after they left, and splashed it on his head. Even after nearly a half hour in the water, it still felt like the hot lead was eating away his forehead. He gritted his teeth, and cursed the queen, as he felt the deep burn, and the scar that was already forming. He grabbed a hat, just before Fonzo arrived. He said good afternoon to Fonzo, and announced that even though they were planning on going hunting today, instead he's leaving town forever. Caneloro refused to go into detail, and didn't show Fonzo the massive burn on his forehead. The queen, in her attempt to murder him, had made it very clear, that he was no longer welcome here. If she would go so far, as to burn him herself, then Caneloro could almost expect a visitor tonight, with a knife to finish the job. He didn't tell Fonzo, because after all, what could Fonzo do? Well, he knew what Fonzo would do. It was what he would do. Fonzo would kill his mother. Canelaro knew Fonzo loved him, and since he loved Fonzo, he didn't want the young man throwing his life away, on account of him. His decision was final, he told Fonzo. Canelaro's mom had received a severance pay, of sorts, when her employment in the castle was terminated, after one day of work, in the form of all the babies of all the furniture that had given birth. Among these acquired items was a suit of armor, and a sword. Fonzo saw that he couldn't stop Caneloro from leaving, but begged for a way to know if he was okay. Canaloro had just the thing. He went outside and stabbed the ground next to a tree, and a spring bubbled to the surface. He told Fonzo that as long as the spring was clear, he, Canaloro, was in the clear. Ha ha. If it was muddy, things were not going well for him. And if it dried up altogether, well, he would be dead. Canaloro hit the ground again, and a myrtle bush popped up. He told Fonzo that when it was green, he was healthy. If it was withered, he was withered, and if it died, he was dead. Fonzo stood there, confused. This is some pretty intense foreshadowing, right? People don't make redundant magical status checks to tell if they're dead or alive, if everything's gonna go well for their life. Canalero pulled down his hat and dodged the question. He said goodbye to his friend, the guy he loved like a brother, and left town forever. Canalora rode and rode, and had many adventures, and also diarrhea. So much diarrhea. So much diarrhea. I'm not joking about that. It's in the original text. That's the fun thing about Basile. He doesn't shy away from the indecorous details of everyday life. But really, I imagine traveling in a world with a lot of untreated water would lead to a lot of diarrhea. In addition to dysentery, fun intrigue followed the newly minted knight on his journeys. He entered into fights with coachmen and thieves. Quote, Customs officers were assassinated, and he was swindled by innkeepers. All the while, he missed his home, Fonzo. One day, Canelaro arrived at a kingdom, where the king had promised the princess to a knight, who could win his tournament. Canaloro considered his armor and sword and shrugged. What could be the harm? Except all the harm in fighting actual trained knights, with actual sharp swords. Well, somehow, despite having no training or skill at all, Canaloro won the tournament. I guess having a dad that smoked from a cooked dragon heart is good for something. Cantalaro picked his way through the forest. Given his amazing luck in winning the hand of the princess, he had decided to go questing. Luckily, this was fairy tale Europe, and one needed to look only so far as everywhere to find monsters and giants. In this case, it was an ogre living in the forest just down the road from his new kingdom. Keniloro had been warned that, unlike most ogres, this one was wily. It could change shape. One day, it would be a wolf, and chase terrified travelers into the forest. The next, donkey laden with treasures to lure people in, and so on. Anyone who went into the heart of the forest, never returned. Hearing this, Keniloro decided to test his luck. He set out that morning to hunt the ogre with two hounds, picking his way through the stifling, suffocatingly dense forest. Then, he saw something up ahead. It was a beautiful white doe, and it seemed to glow in the darkness of the forest. His people had warned him that the ogre could change into anything, but surely anything couldn't include a deer. Canelaro bounded off after it, into the dark heart of the forest. The dark heart of the forest was, well, weird. After a few minutes of pursuit, he had lost the doe, and found himself drenched by rain and pummeled by hailstones. The center of the forest provided respite from the rain and hail, but... Now snow covered the ground. Frigid air began to creep in and suck the warmth from Canaloro's wet clothes. He looked down at the dogs, both beaten and cold. They wouldn't be able to survive out in the hail again. It was July, so he hadn't come prepared for snow. Not too far ahead stood a rough wooden door leading into a cave house. Canaloro drew his sword. Even if there was an ogre inside, he faced better odds against a monster than the cold and rain on a standard three count, he kicked in the door, to find a nice little ogre apartment, there was food and a small fire roaring, his dogs ran in and rolled on the ground, warming themselves, with his hand on his sword, and a lot of anxiety, he checked some of the smaller rooms in the cave, but found them also empty, that was when he heard his hounds barking, he rushed to the main room, to see, at the door that he had left open, the doe, oh hey, So, I know you were chasing me, but I'm really cold. Mind if I trot in and sit by the fire for a bit? The doe asked. Kenalaro said that he didn't mind. She could come in. The doe took a step, but paused. Okay, but how do I know you won't kill me? Like you were trying to do ten minutes ago. Kenalaro smiled. Uh, because I'm the hero of the story and an honorable guy? Duh. The doe hesitated but that doesn't really preclude you from... You know what? I believe you, but as a show of good faith. Why don't you tie up the dogs and put your sword on the counter over there? Fair? Canelaro nodded and obliged, then motioned the deer into the room. Thanks, and also I'm an ogre. Why'd you do any of that? I was a talking doe. You don't trust talking animals in the home of an ogre people told you could turn into talking animals? That was not a good decision. Anyway, good talk, the ogre said changing back into his giant ogre form, and grabbing Canaloro with one hand, he dragged it back to one of the chambers. The funny thing, I'm not even hungry, the ogre said. I ate a family earlier today, but you know, waste not. He moved a stone wall aside, and flung Caneloro hard into one of the rooms, and rolled the rock back over the opening. Blood dropped down, and stung Canaloro's eyes, and as he lost consciousness from his head wound, he heard his hounds yip, before all fell silent in the other room. We'll see if Fonzo discovers that muddy, barely running spring. But that will be right after this. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. It wasn't until later on that afternoon that Fonzo passed the fountain and bush Caneloro had made before his departure, except today, it took him a while to find them. The fountain was muddy and barely there and the bush wilted and dying. Immediately, the prince rushed to the stables to fetch his fastest horse. He dressed and in less than an hour after his shocking discovery, he was galloping away, alone, to rescue his Caneloro. Fonzo rode and rode. He didn't know what he was looking for, but apparently it found him in the form of a whole city dressed in black all rushing to him in mass and dragging him to the palace for a reward their prince the man who had disappeared on a hunting excursion had returned it was an awkward night for fonzo caneloro's wife demanded he sleep in the same bed as her they were husband and wife after all he put a sword in between them and muttered that he had made a pledge of chastity recently or something and at first light he was on the road heading out into the forest fonzo didn't turn back at the sight of rain and the hail didn't faze him. His feet crunched on the snow, and he arrived at the center of the forest. He saw the ogre's house, narrowed his eyes, and kicked down the door to find that it was empty. He heard a muffled shouting from the back room, and ran to find a large stone wedged over a doorway. He kicked and beat at the boulder, but it wouldn't budge. Fonzo searched the room frantically, until he found a piece of wood large enough to use as a wedge. At last, the stone began to move. On the other side, he saw, Canaloro grinning and happily chatting it up with a group of new friends. Canaloro was alive. In fact, he had been in prison with a few other people who had also wandered into the forest over the past few weeks and they were having kind of a good time talking and hanging out and eating the stuff growing at the back of the cave and if it hadn't been for the whole waiting to be eaten by an ogre part, their captivity would have been a pretty relaxing experience. The ogre apparently had the habit as a lot of us do of eating food out, and not using his groceries at home. Fonzo urgently told Canaloro that he had come to rescue him, and that they needed to leave now. The group gathered up their things, and they left. Walking out through the cave, Fonzo and Canaloro led the group, swords in hand, ready to take on the world, as long as they were together. And they faced absolutely no danger when leaving the forest. Twenty minutes later, the group stood on the edge of the forest, taking in the vastness of Caneloro's new kingdom. Little did they know, the ogre had suffered a heart attack, and died out in the forest, while trying to trick more people to come to his house. Turns out, eating humans wasn't very heart healthy, so if there are any ogres listening to this, make better choices. Also, I just made that part up, about the ogre having a heart attack, but you know, maybe he did. He doesn't show up in the story again, and they really did just walk out of the forest. So, why not? The group returned to the palace, and because of the scar, the court recognized Caneloro instantly, as Fonzo watched, happy for his friend. The two parted ways, and when Fonzo returned to the kingdom, he told Caneloro's mom where he was, and the servant went on to her son's kingdom, where she became the mother of a prince, who later became the king, and everyone lived happily ever after. And for some reason, that really annoys me. This story is fun, and it's probably the most famous story from the collection, but it completely stops cold right after Canalaro's capture. We ride the tension built by Canalaro's exile, and his dangerous entrapment, and we join Fonzo as he rides off to save his friend, and then everything works out well for everyone. I do love the first two-thirds of the story, complete with a bizarre king, the furniture giving birth, a jealous queen, and an obvious ogre being obvious. And those parts do make it worth the telling for me, but it just completely falls apart in the third act. The second and last story for today is one about a sketchy king yelling at his neighbors. For some reason, a whole morning's worth of ceaseless catcalls from his tower to the woman who lived across the street wasn't working. King of Strong Fortress, and yeah, that's his name, No definite articles, just King of Strong Fortress, or KSF as I'm going to call him, was really into the women who lived across the street. They were irresistible. Well, he guessed. He hadn't actually seen them. But by the way, they complained when he farted loudly in the night, and I'm not making that up, and the fact that they had never left their house, led KSF to the inescapable conclusion that they were beautiful but shy women. So instead of acting like a normal person, He had yelled from his tower for a few hours for them to come out, so he could have a look at them, which was totally normal, and doesn't make people feel uncomfortable, but they never showed, and they didn't say or do anything for days. Then, one morning, as the king was trying out some new lines, he heard two sweet voices, calling out from the home across the street. The voices told the king all they could offer, was to show him a little finger through the door, in eight days time. KSF silently pumped his fists in the air, He was a general, a conqueror. He knew fortresses were taken foot by foot. It was seen one little finger in one week, but it was one finger more than last week. It was a victory. He agreed, and the women inside the house giggled. After an uncomfortably long time kissing a stranger's finger, while the stranger remained hidden behind the door, the king announced that he'd like to take their relationship to the next level. He'd like to kiss her whole hand. A woman laughed behind the door. He could kiss more than that. Tonight, in his bedchamber, the king's jaw dropped. Yes. On one condition, the woman added quickly. The king replied, anything. She told him that he had to blow out all the candles and allow her to enter in complete darkness. He shrugged. No way this could go hilariously wrong. They agreed, and the giddy king danced all the way back to his strong fortress. The rest of the day seemed to drag on forever. KSF was so excited for nightfall that he could barely think about anything else. Granted, he spent most of his days hitting on strangers from the walls of his fortress, so it's not like he had a full calendar. As night fell, all the candles and fires were put out. Leading up to the king's bedroom, he sat on his bed, waiting until he felt a soft hand come to rest on his own. He would know that finger anywhere. promised not to look and let her come and go in complete darkness, but there had been something weird the night before. She had a knot in her back, and not the stress kind, but an actual knot of skin, the size of a fist. Plus, he never had the intention of not looking at her. In one quick movement, he struck some flint, lit a candle, and pulled back all the covers. After a solid minute of screams, servants came charging into the room, out of breath, curious and alarmed. Like what you see? The incredibly old woman sneered from the king's bed, her smile revealing, just a few remaining black teeth. No, no, that's what the screaming was about, the king barked. He turned to his servants, I thought I was going to gobble up a milk calf, and instead, I find myself with a buffalo placenta, he said, in a direct quote from Basile. Ew, wait, are either of those good? The servant said, he wanted it the old woman assured the servants. Sitting up in bed, she said that he had been annoying them with his advances for weeks. She reached behind herself and tugged at something. In an effort to hide her wrinkles for KF's embrace, her sister had balled up the excess skin behind her back and tied them off in the first non-invasive body lift ever. The result was an effective but really uncomfortable ball of old wrinkled skin. She undid it and her skin flopped into place. She said that everyone had heard the old sayings that an old chicken makes for good broth and that you shouldn't leave the old road for the new. Now the king knew the meaning of those words. Intimately, the woman winked. The king told his servants that she was obviously a witch. She shook her head though. Nope. She said that she was just the old lady who lived across the street, who tricked him hard. Deal with it. And that was the last straw. The king wanted this woman out of his bedroom, out of his fortress as quickly as possible. The servants rushed to surround the bed, and began grabbing the woman's arms. But the king shook his head as quickly as possible, he repeated, pointing to the window. The elderly woman had just enough time to mutter an, oh, come on, before the servants picked her up and flung her bodily from the fortress, sending her craning into the forest below. you've never laughed? One fairy said to the other, as they floated through the forest later on that morning. Not even as a baby? Babies laugh at anything. Well, maybe, the other fairy said. I don't count it as a baby. All I'm saying, is that since I've been aware of it, I've never found something funny enough to laugh. I guess I just have a high standard for comedy. Wait, what's that? He asked, pointing to something he saw through the trees. Then, for the first time in his life, he cracked up. Really? Really? That's what does it? The other fairy said incredulously. A naked old woman who clearly met the business end of medieval poverty flailing in a tree? Mm Mm-hmm. Really high standard for comedy, the fairy said to his companion, who was rolling around in the moss with tears in his eyes. As it turned out, the old woman's hair was so long that it got caught in the trees and broke her fall. She was alive, but she was dangling from the tree, naked, and now a fairy was losing it to her trying to climb her own hair. The fairy that wasn't laughing was getting anxious. They usually avoided humans at all costs. Now his friend was incapacitated with laughter. This wasn't a good look for them. The fairy snapped his fingers, and the pair left with a flash. The old woman sighed as she saw the pair leave, and resumed the, admittedly kind of funny, attempt to climb her own hair, and untangle herself from the branches. The other fairy flashed back to the forest, and at the prompting of his friend, to whom the elderly woman had unintentionally given the gift of laughter, he gave her a little gift in return. In a moment, the woman was no longer hanging naked from a tree by her hair, but was sitting in a throne underneath said tree. The throne was gold with velvet cushions, a green canopy stretched above to protect her from the heat of the day. She was now wearing a dress too, and even though she was surrounded by servants and ladies-in-waiting, it was the teeth that clued her in that she had been transformed. They were no longer the sparse black and green things. Now, they felt large and foreign. She felt the two rows of shiny white teeth with her now smooth hand, and she knew that things were different. The fairies had made her young again. KSF rubbed his face as he shuffled toward the window. He couldn't even look at his servants, and he kept trying to put last night out of his mind. Still, it wasn't the first time one of his guests had been thrown out the window, and it probably wouldn't be the last. He should really get a better handle on his life, and start making better choices, and hello, good-looking 15-year-old in the woods. He looked down from his tower, and at the girl, sitting on a throne in the forest, surrounded by servants. Using the same amazing judgment that had led to an elderly woman being thrown out of his window, mere hours earlier, the king put on some shoes, and ran down the stairs of the strong fortress. Now the woman, teenager person, while anger with the king for calling her ugly and throwing her out of a window, wasn't impractical. She may now be a beautiful teenager, but that didn't mean that she wouldn't have to return to the exact same hovel she had left the night before. She was surprised to see the king, but not surprised when he didn't seem to recognize her. How could he? He also seemed completely unconcerned that he had dropped a woman to die in that exact spot hours ago. He ran to her, reciting poetry and talking about how his heart was going to burst if he didn't marry her. Those were all lines that she had heard before, shouted at her and her sister from the fortress. Now though, it was different. Now, she didn't have to hide. She could be queen. She accepted his marriage proposal on the spot. And the pair made their way back to the fortress. The mysterious young woman only had one family member and the old woman ended up being very hard to find. It must have been her grandmother or great-grandmother by her age. But the young woman had the older one sit right next to her at the wedding feast. The elder sister knew as soon as she saw the young woman. They had grown up together and though it had been over a half century since she had seen her sister that young, she knew who the girl was. She couldn't believe it. She sat next to her sister, young and beautiful and Now the queen, they had drawn lots the night she left to be with the king. It was a joke. Now she, she had been given everything. How did you do it, sister? The older sister asked. Do what? The younger replied, her mouth smiling but her eyes serious, telling her sister that they would talk about this later. And why would you call me sister? You're so much older. I'm one year older. You look just like me when you left and now, grandma, the younger sister interrupted. You need to stop. We can talk about this later. What's she talking about? The king asked, offhandedly, taking a side glance at the older sister. Then a much longer look. Why did she look so familiar? She doesn't mean anything, the younger sister replied. I want to know what you did, the older sister hissed angrily. We can talk about it later, the younger sister said, adding that she just had to marry the king and then they would have everything. Not just money, but security. Power, the older sister corrected her. She, the younger sister, would have everything. The older sister just had her age in their hovel across the street. The king's ears pricked up when he heard mention of the place across the street. What did you do? The older sister demanded. Tell me now, or I'll tell everyone what you are. "I, I skinned myself. What do you think? The sister whispered. Now shut up, or you'll get us both in trouble skinned yourself? Oh my gosh. That happened? The older sister said, looking the younger up and down. Yeah, sure. She who wants to appear beautiful must suffer. You've heard the phrase, the younger sister whispered to the other, who just sat there, stunned. The king, in and out, not really paying attention to that conversation, was bored, and left to go mingle. The younger sister waited until he was beyond earshot, before turning to the older, saying, okay, so I was in the but the older sister was gone. The younger sister searched the crowd around the main table, but she didn't see the woman who she had spent her entire life with. She got up and called her name, but by the time she had pushed past the people congratulating her, the street outside was empty. Her sister was gone. It was the sixth barber of the afternoon. Five before him had refused, but the older sister was honing her approach. Pun absolutely intended. She started with the story of her sister, the new queen. The barber scoffed that it was impossible for the beautiful teenage queen to be her sister. But the old woman said that that was the thing. The queen did something to look like that. She did something that no one else would do, something that no one would even think to do. She had skinned herself. The barber shuddered but then saw that the older sister was actually serious. Then he saw where things were going. He flat out refused, but the old woman brought out a coin purse full of her life savings and plopped it on the table. 50 ducats, not a lot, maybe two weeks worth of haircuts and shaves. It would be so simple. She had seen it work. The elderly woman pleaded with the barber. If he did this, she would reward him. She had always been more beautiful than her sister growing up. She would marry a king too and then fill the barber's small shop with gold. Consider 50 Ducats a down payment." He looked at her, and then the money, and she had seen this work. The old woman nodded, and a smile grew. She had found her barber. They couldn't do it in the city because one, the screaming, and two, if she was wrong, the barber wasn't gonna be charged with murder. His sister only laughed. He wasn't gonna murder anyone he was going to give her a brand new life. She sat on a stool that evening, in a clearing, the strong fortress looming over them, off in the distance. She took a deep breath, and steeled herself, as she saw the barber stropping his razor. The barber wiped the sweat from his brow, and the razor shook in his hand. He looked down at her back, picked a spot, and sliced her. But she didn't scream, even though it was infinitely worse than she imagined it could be, she felt every slice every tug of skin being severed from her tissue. As tears welled up and spilled down her cheeks, even though she herself did not cry, on her lips trembled the last words her sister had said to her, she who wants to appear beautiful must suffer. Her skin piled on the ground, the earth sucking down her blood, and as she died, she felt happiness. She was doing it. She was going to be young again. Ostensibly, the moral behind that shockingly bloody ending is, envy destroys itself, which… Okay, there are lessons buried in the story about not going to dangerous lengths for beauty, and that words have meaning, and you shouldn't utter them carelessly, but I don't know that's what Basile was trying to get across. Notice too, how there's no criticism of any royalty in the story. The queen of the first story burned Canalora with hot liquid, and the king in the second threw an old woman out of a window, but neither encountered grim style justice. This is just speculation on my part, but Basile performed his stories for the nobility of Italy. They paid his bills, and you don't bite the hand that feeds you. I made a mistake last week, when I mentioned next week's episode. So next week, we're doing the Three Little Pigs and Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I had kind of too much fun with it, and I think it shows. Also, more Myth podcasts, so check it out. Have you listened to our newest podcast yet? It's called Fictional, and it's really similar to Myths and Legends except we cover stories from all over fiction, not just myths and legends. We finished up the story of the Inferno this week, and next week, we're starting in on the time machine, and yes, I make Doctor Who references. Find it by searching for Fictional, wherever you get your podcasts, and on Apple Podcasts at apple.fictional.fm, and now on Spotify, too, on spotify.fictional.fm. The creature this time is the Till from Indian folklore, and it's Batman, kind of. It's kind of more man-bat than Batman, because it's an anthropomorphic bat. It's not so much concerned with stopping crime as, catching people unaware and draining their blood, so you know, slight differences. They max out between 4 and 7 feet tall, and feature a stubby little tail. It's a kind of Batman, Except, unlike the Dark Knight, this Batman cranks the intensity of his dark themes up to 11. His favorite beverage, for example, is human blood, and his mug of choice is a hollowed out human skull. Far be it from me to tell Batman how to do his job, I mean, the bat ears, the cowl and the cape are one thing, but if he started chatting it up with villains while sipping human blood from his skull cup, Gotham would be crime free by the end of the month. The bay is supposed to save human flesh for sacrifices, but he does like to treat himself to a snack here and there, and he sleeps upside down in the trees outside cemeteries, because what Batman who's also a vampire doesn't do that? They aren't mindless monsters though, so once they get their fill of human blood, they like to talk to people, check out the latest gossip and just see what's going on in town. They are self-aware enough not to go in their vampire form, that would be weird, but since all human forms are the same, they'll just swing on over to the graveyard and pop into a corpse for an hour or two. Shuffling into town like that guy from Men in Black, they'll try to be all chummy and chatted up talking about human stuff, like how amazing our blood tastes. If you run into a Baytel, well, run! His skin, stretched tight over his bones until he has his morning blood, is stronger than iron, so there's really no fighting back if he catches you and wants to turn your head into his newest mug. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs and there are links to other music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.